Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Hebrews chapter number 7. One of the uh, difficulties in living in our home is that when I'm writing a sermon, I pick one song, and while I'm writing it, that song is all that plays. And so for hours, that song could play. It gets annoying to everyone else but me. The song that we just sang is one of my favorites to play on repeat continuously. And so when I picked it, I thought that I would be able to listen to it. I didn't know Hunter was going to be out today. I'd have picked something with a little less tenor part if I had known. I'm getting older and those notes are getting higher. Hebrews chapter number 7. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that Jesus saves. And we pray, Lord, that the veracity of that in all of its various implications would be felt in the midst of our being today. That, Lord, we would be saved. Not just from sin, but from despair. And hopelessness. That we would feel your grace. Father, give me the words that are needed for all of those who have gathered to hear from you today. As we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. When we began our look at Jesus through the lens of Hebrews, I mentioned that some scholars do not think of Hebrews as an epistle, but rather a sermon. It is with that thought that I think we should ask ourselves the question, what is the purpose of a sermon? Well, there are a couple of things that 
spring readily to mind. A sermon is used to persuade people about the truth of the gospel both for salvation and sanctification such that they embrace it. Sermons are also intended to provide comfort and encouragement to those who need something to sustain them in the midst of the difficulties and the vicissitudes of life. I like to think of a sermon with this in mind. Sermons are given to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. Our text this morning is a perfect example of this twofold approach of both invitation to acceptance and consolation for despair. As the writer of Hebrews attempts to convince his audience of the efficacy of Jesus, while consoling them for the suffering that they are undergoing because of their faith in Jesus. One of the clearest ways he does it is in the text this morning. In verse number 23, we find the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The writer of Hebrews has been engaged in an extended exposition of Jesus' function as high priest over the preceding chapters before our text this morning. Here in chapter number 7, we are told that Jesus is not like the typical Levite priest. He is not a part of the line of Aaron as it was Jesus' task to be the fulfillment of the promise of David, of an eternal king, so he had to be a member of the tribe of Judah. No, the the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is part of the line of Melchizedek when it comes to his priesthood. The king of Salem to whom Abraham gave the tithe after he defeated the various kings and rescued Lot. Indeed, through citations from Psalm 110, which is a messianic psalm, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the greatest of priests because he is in line of Melchizedek. And to Jesus, God has sworn an oath, an oath not found in the appointment of the Levite priest, that Jesus would be a priest forever because he is the Messiah. So what is it that makes the priesthood of Jesus so special for us today? 
Because this whole talk of priesthood seems foreign to us in our current environment. Well, first we should note the possibility of Jesus' priesthood. Notice verse 23 again. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And then skip down to verse 27. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. You see, beloved, there had always been a steady supply of priests. They were never without a priest. And we think of that because there always needs to be somebody to hold the office, right? But, but why do they have to be there, period? Why does there have to continuously be a priest? Quite simply, it is the fact that there always has to be someone lined up to make atonement for us. There always has to be someone there because what is it? We're always going to sin. There, there was always going to be a time and a place for sin. And in, indeed, this incessant need of, of atonement is even found because the priests themselves, the text tells us, are the source of sin. They too have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yet, though, in the priesthood of Jesus, we find the incessant need for priest ends. Jesus, through the finished work of the cross, forever defeats the power of sin to rule and govern the lives of the sons and daughters of God. What does that mean for us? It means, beloved, that there is a possibility. I would go beyond a possibility. There's a certainty that whatever sin that you are dealing with today is done. You no longer have to despair about the sin that so easily besets you, is how the writer of Hebrews will put it later on over in chapter 12. You do not have to think that, that you are hopelessly confined to this particular sin that you are dealing with in your life forever. Because with Jesus as the high priest, he went to the cross and made sufficient atonement for all time to cancel the power of sin over your life. The possibility of Jesus' priesthood today is for you to be free through grace in your life of the power of sin. You say, Pastor Mark, I got a lot to get over. Yes, don't we all? Yes, we all do. But beloved, you don't have to think that you're powerless to it today. You have a high priest who can enable you, if you will just call out to him, to defeat sin in your life. 
You name whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that you think has got a a control over you, has got a grasp on you, and you say, oh God, give me strength, give me help, Lord, by the power of Jesus, enable me to overcome this. And beloved, once God speaks, and He already has spoken from the cross, it's done. Christians today lead lives that are too defeated instead of leading lives that are victorious in which you march from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing completely defeating sin and destroying its reign in your life forever. Beloved, there are two things in life that are always competing to reign in you. Sin And once you find Jesus, Jesus. And you get to pick. But if you continue to say that there is no possibility of of freeing yourself from whatever that particular sin is that you are dealing with that seems continuously conquering you, you're going to pick sin and not the power of Jesus and not the possibility of his priesthood. Jesus enables us to be free today. Secondly, we should recognize the permanence of his priesthood. The implications of verse 24's assertion that Jesus holds his priesthood forever are simply this. That salvation is sure. I confess to you, beloved, I feel sorry for those people who never can figure out if they're in or out of the household of God. Who believe if if they take one step out of line, suddenly they have fallen out of the flow of grace and they got to figure out how to get back in and they can never figure out from one point to the other whether or not they are actually saved and going to make heaven their home. Beloved, hear me. Because Jesus is the eternal high priest. Once you put your trust in him. And you say come into my life and live in me. That I may know the glories and the abundance of your grace. Beloved you're there forever. You're there forever. He has got you. I mean he's like, he's like uh, 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 super glue then. And you got him. And you know what? You don't have to worry about falling out. You know, it's, uh, it's sort of like, it's sort of like uh, when I would pick up Scarlett from school. And, and as soon as she'd get in the car, and I'd say, how's your day? And she wouldn't really talk to me. I knew something had happened. I knew something had happened in the course of that day. She had got in trouble at school. And she's just, she's just sort of in and out. She's not really sure what the case is. She don't really want to fess up. She don't really want to talk to me. She really don't want to tell me. Uh, my favorite one was that she had, to, she had suddenly forgotten that her mask was on. I don't know how she did that. But at the encouragement of a friend, she forgot that her mask was on and had tried to drink her water through her mask. When I asked her, why she was wearing a different mask than I let her out in that morning. She didn't want to talk to me about it. 
But beloved, understand something. We don't have to cower. We don't have to fear. We don't have to think that we can't go boldly before the throne of grace because there's something wrong with us and that somehow or another we are out of favor because even when we are out of favor because of the permanence of Jesus' priesthood, we can come before him and say, here I am and I have done wrong. Help me. And he's not going to cast us into some outer darkness. He's not going to throw us away. He's just going to wrap us more in his love and his grace. And he's going to say, it's going to be all right. Here's the strength. Here's the grace to get you through. Beloved, part of our defeated natures in Christianity today is the fact that we forget that we are always in his grace once we come to faith and that enables us to walk boldly into his presence you know when I, when I first uh, got up with Eliza and we go to Maryland I go in her mother's house and I just sort of tiptoe around things because it weren't my house, right? It weren't even my mama's house. It was her mama's house. I didn't want to mess anything up. When I went to my mama's house, I didn't knock on the door. I just took my key and walked right in. And I went and I didn't care if there was just this much left in the, in the, in the milk jug. I poured it out. I used whatever I wanted. Didn't matter to me. I was in the family. Wouldn't pull that trick at her mama's house until much later on. When I was sure I was in the family. Beloved, you're in the family. And the permanence of his priesthood says that you can forever go into his house and be like a child of his. You don't have to cower. You don't have to fear. But you can act, as the, as the hymn writer said, no more a stranger nor a guest, but like a child at home. Do you feel the permanence of your salvation today in how you relate to Jesus? Now, I, I know that for some of us listening this morning, You've been burnt in life. You've put trust in, in people. You've been put trust in institutions. You've put trust in, in all sorts of things. And you, and you might be wondering this morning, because of all of the failures that they have brought in your life, if you can really trust Him. Can you trust that Jesus will never fail you? Can you trust that Jesus will never change up the rules that, that he's given for us to follow in grace? Can you trust that he'll always do everything that he's promised to do? That he will never leave a duty unfulfilled? I love the answer to that. is found in the perfection of his priesthood. Notice verses 26 and 28. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, 
holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. We must recall that when the writer of Hebrews first penned this sermon, he was speaking to a people, the Jewish people, who had known a long, long history of corrupt priests. Time and time again, priests would rise up and they would be corrupt. And indeed, they would give false prophecies and false assertions to them. That's what the whole, um, again and again, you find in the prophets. And indeed, in the most recent times, just before this book was penned, priests were not necessarily even being following in the Levitical line. Priests were not being necessarily chosen because of their religious observances. They were being chosen because of the political circumstances that were in place. And so they picked people from prominent families, regardless of whether or not they were qualified. And so they were corrupt and they were inefficient and they were not uh, dutiful priests. And with all that history, isn't it easy for people to say, I'm not sure I can follow this high priest Jesus. But beloved, understand something. Jesus is not like this. Our text this morning says that Jesus is perfection. Now think about what perfection is. Perfection is, there is nothing else that can be done. Perfection means that you have reached the highest pinnacle. There's nothing that can be added to perfection. There is nothing that can be subtracted from perfection. Because to add or subtract means that it really wasn't perfect or now it is imperfect. And so Jesus is perfect. It means that, that he's not going to grow less perfect over time. It all, but it also means that he will fulfill every promise that he has ever made. He will fulfill every hope that we can put in him. That there will always be sufficient atonement for our sins. That there will always be him fulfilling the word that he gives to us. Beloved, it means... That the church may fail you. It means that your Sunday school teacher may fail you. It means that your deacon, your family minister may fail you. It means that I might fail you. But Jesus, he'll never fail you. Jesus will never fail you. He will always be the perfect situation for your life at every given point in time. He will bring complete fulfillment and restoration every step of the way of your life. And if you're trying to put your trust in anything other than Jesus, you're going to be sadly, sadly disappointed. Don't put your trust in Mark. Don't put your trust in Grove Park. Don't put your trust in, 
in the institutional church. Don't put your trust in organized religion. Put your trust in Jesus. Because he will never, ever fail you. Because he is perfect. Now, I'd be remiss if I did not point out one of the duties of Jesus as the priest that is found in today's text. And that is that he provides provision through his priesthood. Look with me at verse number 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is able to save to the uttermost. Now I could, I could, I could spend a lot of time on that right there. And I could talk about all of the things and all of the ways that Jesus saves us from sin. But beloved, if that's where you stop it, you're going to miss part of this. Because Jesus not only saves us from sin, and praise God, He saves us from sin. If He doesn't save us from sin, we are almost miserable because we are bound to spend an eternity apart from God we will never taste His grace. We will never know His love. We will never find rest in this world if He doesn't save us from sin. But I don't know a child of God anywhere who can't say also at least one instance where He saved us from something else. Where He saved us from putting our foot in our mouth where he saved us from going down the wrong path where he saved us from despair where he saved us from hopelessness where he saved us from imminent death where he saved us from giving up all hope that something better can be he saves us from all of those things he gives us provision that our life does not have to be this boring, humdrum existence, but that it can be life abundant, he says in John 10. I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. He saves us from boredom. Oh, people say all the time, I can't follow Jesus. He's not that exciting. Beloved, if your Jesus isn't that exciting, you need a new Jesus. Because you're not following the one in the book. Because my Jesus calms seas that are raging with one word. My Jesus, in the midst of my despair, in the midst of my boat sinking, my Jesus walks across the waters and he says, take my hand and I will lead you to safe pastures. When I don't know how anything's going to happen, my Jesus will take five loaves and two fishes and he'll put on a fish fry unlike anything you've ever seen before and he'll even bring the slaw. Good slaw, not bad slaw. 
my Jesus. But beloved, like I told you, I can't just stop there with that verse. I can't just stop there. He is able to save to the uttermost. Oh, I could, I could spend a lot more time on the uttermost because that means it's far beyond anything that I can even see right now. That means Jesus is going to save me from things that I don't even know what's coming. It's heading down the road to me, but he has already made provision to save me from it. But it doesn't stop there. For those who draw near to God through him, that means I got to go through him to get to God. But I'm not going to stop there. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. He lives to make intercession for them. You say, of course he lives. We sing it every, every Easter. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's merry way. Beloved, it's beyond that. It is beyond that. What do you live for? What do you live for? You're living right now, right? But what are you living for? Some of you are living. What gives you life is to be with your grandchildren. You live to be with your grandchildren. Some of you live to go on your next trip. Some of you live for football. Some of you... Pull for Carolina. <sighs> Beloved, he lives. He gets, he gets all juice and power and all. He lives to make intercession for you. His existence is to make intercession for you. And what does that mean? That means that when you and I can't even figure out what to say to him. He's praying. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. He's praying. Lord, I don't even want to talk to you. I am so angry with you right now. Lord, you took what I wanted the most. You took what brought me joy. Lord, I just can't even deal with you right now. He's still praying. He's still praying. Beloved, the thing I can, can give you the most hope for today is He's still praying. Thursday, I got called to go to Chapel Hill. I didn't necessarily know what I was going to face. But I knew that I weren't prepared for what I was going to face. So I did the thing that when I'm faced with those situations, I do just like that. I sent a note to Eliza and I called my mama. Because I know that with those two, the throne of grace is going to get wore out. Eliza texts back immediately, I'm praying. Mama hangs up the phone and she says, I'm praying. But guess what, beloved? Guess what? 
because of his provision. If I couldn't get Eliza, and if I couldn't get Mama, Jesus was praying. And because Jesus was praying, he already had made sufficient provision to get me through what I was going to face on Thursday, what I was going to face on Friday, what I was going to face yesterday, what I'm going to face today. And guess what? He's going to make provision for what I'm going to face tomorrow because he's praying. Oh, beloved, you can't get a better high priest than that. He's a rock upon which we can stand. Now the question is, are you treating him as such? Are you building your life on him and his permanence and his perfection and his possibility and his provision? Are you building it on a sinking sand that like the ebb and flow of the tide will wash you out to sea. He wants you to build your life on Him today. And Him alone. Will you do it? Let's pray. Who knew, Lord? Who knew? Who knew? The sufficiency of your priesthood. But Lord, I pray today that each of us would take all the aspects of that priesthood and seize the possibility of it. Seize the possibility of of freedom from a sin that besets us. Freedom from an insecurity of our faith. Freedom from an insufficient trust in your perfection. Freedom from seeking provision in other places other than you. Lord, we pray today that we would hear your prayer for us and that we would be strengthened. And that, Lord, if we need to return, we would. And if we need to just put our trust for the first time, we would. For we ask these things in Jesus' name enables us to come before you. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit Grove Park Church dot net and remember grace abound
Thank you.